So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jerry, and I am the campus pastor here in Carmel. And if you are new or visiting, I would love to meet you after service. We're so glad to have you here with us. What I would want the rest of you to know is over the last several months, we have been uh, prayerfully interviewing folks, waiting, you know, collecting resumes, looking for the right person. And we've prayed, Lord, would you send us the best person possible to fill this role as our student ministry coordinator? And we are so thankful, Connor, to have you as part of our team. I've actually known Connor for a long time, and uh, my family, my kids adore him. When I told them that he was going to move to this area, he, they all celebrated. And so I'm excited for all of you to get to meet him. If you're a student, you are going to have so much fun with Connor. If you are the parent of a student, your, your family will be blessed by Connor. And for the rest of us, maybe you don't have a student, I just want to encourage you to invite him over for dinner. That would go easy on his budget, and he will bless your family. I promise you. He is such a fantastic young man. So, Connor, we're glad to have you here with us. Uh, let's pray, and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you um, that we have the ability to pay people to work on staff here at Genesis. We're so thankful for that. Um, we're, but we're also thankful that as a, as a church family that we are on mission together. Would you help us to be on mission together? And we're thankful that through this process that you have brought us the person that we prayed for, the best person possible. And, and we believe that that's Connor. Would you empower him to bless uh, students and families throughout our church? And I pray that as a church family, we would be a blessing to him as well. We thank you for what you continue to do here in and through us at Genesis. And Jesus, we just pray that you would have your way, that your name would be made great at all ages and stages of life and that people that would come here or the people that would interact with our people throughout the course of the week, they wouldn't walk away thinking about Genesis. They would know about Jesus. That's our prayer. So we love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, I want you to think about a time in your life when you found yourself in a situation where you just knew something needs to be done right now. There's a problem that needs to be solved. There's a situation that needs to be handled. And you felt a tension inside of you like, somebody's got to do something about this. Maybe you even felt like you were supposed to do something about it. Or maybe you thought, oh man, not me, but anybody else. Somebody needs to do something about this. As I thought about that this week, I was reminded of the time that my wife and I went on our first mission trip together to the Dominican Republic. We went with a bunch of, uh, of our friends that were in dental school at the time that were studying to be dentist or hygienist, and we were going to go to a remote village in the Dominican Republic to set up a dental tent where we were going to help people in this village. And as soon as we landed, we hit the ground running. I mean, immediately we got shop set up and my friends were numbing people's mouths and cleaning teeth and pulling teeth and filling cavities. My wife has a nursing background and so she felt very at home kind of meeting people's medical needs. And we were like a well-oiled machine. We were humming along and everybody had a role to play except for one person. And you can probably guess who that person is, me. I don't have medical skills and abilities. I'm not grossed out. I just, the harder I tried, I could not find a place to fit in. And the first day that we did what we were doing, I mean, I tried so hard to be helpful and I just kept getting in the way. I would jump in and I was standing on something. So I'd have to move out of the way or whatever. So that first day, I honestly, at the end of the day, I didn't tell anybody this. I was just embarrassed. Because I, I thought, man, what? I just don't fit here. And so I thought, well, I'm gonna try harder tomorrow. I'm just gonna give, give more effort tomorrow. And so I tried and there was just nothing for me to do. I'm gonna be real honest with you. Uh, everybody paired up and I just still mentally remember standing on the outside of the tent like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So now my embarrassment has moved to frustration and I'm mad. And I decided, well, I'm just gonna slip away and I'm gonna go for a walk. Now, the sad thing is when I slipped away, guess who noticed? Nobody, because I didn't have anything to do. And so I go on this walk and I pray, and I just, I prayed a very honest prayer. I'm sure some of you have been there before. 
And this is what my prayer sounded like. God, why am I here? Why am I here? I took a week of vacation to come here. I talked to friends and family members and raised money to come all this way. I am sleeping on the ground in a tent. The mosquitoes are ridiculous. There's nothing for me to do here. Why am I here? There's so much need, but every time I tried it, I just get in the way. And I was so frustrated. I wasn't homesick. I wasn't freaked out. I was just mad. And I tell you guys, I was trying to help. And it was obvious I was not helping. Now, in that moment, something happened that I'm going to guess that some of you have experienced before. It freaked me out a little bit. God answered my prayer by speaking to me. And I realized right away, some of you are thinking, oh, great, this is going to be real rich, right? He didn't speak to me audibly. That would have freaked me out. I don't know if he would have spoke English or Spanish down there. I don't know. I I don't know. But it freaked me out. Here's the thing. He spoke directly to my heart. I don't know that anyone else heard, but I heard him loud and clear. And this is how he responded to my prayer. Hey, Jer Bear. He actually didn't call me Jer Bear, but we're pretty tight. We have a pretty good relationship. So I felt Jer Bear, okay? I felt Jer Bear. Hey, Jer Bear, it's time to get over yourself. And he had my attention right away. And he said, this is what he says to me, I know you wanna go home, but you couldn't get to the airport right now if you wanted to. You don't speak the language. You don't know where you're going. You would get lost, and everybody here would beat you there before it came time for you to leave. By the way, you don't even have your ticket. Somebody else is holding it for you, and it's not good for several more days. And then this is what he said to me. I will never forget. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And I remember kind of standing there like, Oh, wow. And I wish I could tell you that it was so cool to have God respond to me directly. But my first thought was, well, you don't have to be a jerk about it, God. I mean, gosh, you could at least handle me a little softer than that, right? I was so upset. Like, why you gotta be so mean, God? Now, I'm gonna guess that you've been in a situation like that before. There's a need that needs to be met. There's something that needs to be done and you really wanna be a part of it or you know somebody needs to do something and you feel this tension. You don't know what to do. You just know somebody needs to do something about something and chances are you found yourself in a situation like that earlier this week. There was a problem to solve. There was a decision to make and you jumped in and and you helped work through that. You're probably gonna be there later today or later this week, but here's, here's what I want you to hear me say. If you are part of the Genesis Church family, if you consider Genesis to be your church home, I just want you to hear me say this. That is the situation that we are in as a church family. There is something that needs to be done and here's the question that I have for all of us. What are we going to do about it. But more specifically, I want to I ask you very specifically, what are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Today, we're kicking off a brand new series called Fish, Feet, Faith. And it's going to be focused on learning to grow our faith. And some of you probably right away are thinking, fish and feet, what in the world does that have to do with faith. Now, we know that they both stink, okay? Fish and feet, they, they stink. I'm not saying that your faith stinks. That's not the connection that we hope that you make over these next several weeks. What we're gonna, what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump into some very familiar stories from Jesus's life, and we're gonna see how our faith can grow specifically when we learn to serve other people. And I know right away when I say that, some of you are thinking, oh, great, 
Like the two times of the year you don't want to go to church, when they talk about money or when they talk about giving up your time. And here's what I would want you to hear me say as the campus pastor here. We do not need any volunteers, okay? We don't need any volunteers. What we want, what we want is an army of servant-minded people that love Jesus, that would love to be on mission with us to help people find their way back to God, no matter how far away from God they might be. And that's gonna mean that we've all gotta be in on this play together, using our gifts and our talents and our abilities to serve him because we believe he's our king and we believe he's gonna come back one day. And so before you freak out and think through all those little reasons why you can't do it, I get that, I understand that. That's actually a normal thing. But here's what I would want you to think about. If you were to ask me, hey, do you really need me to serve? I would say, yeah, you know, we, could, we would love to partner with you in serving. But here's what I would want you to know more than anything else. And I would want you to test me in this. I personally believe that you need you to serve in order to grow your faith. That's what I believe with all my heart. And we see this play out time and time again throughout scripture where serving is one of the things that God is gonna use to grow our faith. And think about how important our faith is when it comes to our relationship with God, the God that we can't see, but we know is real. The God that we believe can do things that only he can do. Our faith in him needs to grow. It needs to be fostered and cared for so that we can make an impact for him. And so some of you are probably thinking, yeah, but Jerry, you don't understand. I don't have enough time. I don't know enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not social enough. I'm not on time enough to serve. And look, I get that. I understand that. I think those are normal tensions and frustrations to feel. But here's what I would want you to know. And, and when you read these stories in scripture, you see this. That's exactly how Jesus' disciples felt. In fact, today we're gonna look at a story where they look back at Jesus and they're like, bro, we got nothing. Zero. What you're asking us to do is impossible. And Jesus says, okay, I'll meet you there. But I'm gonna need you to take a step. I'm gonna need you to move with me. And so what we're gonna see today in Matthew chapter 14, we're gonna see three different stories that if you were to read them in a children's Bible, they're different stories. Like you would read this one and then this one and this one. But what we're gonna find today is these three stories are actually connected. And the first one happens and then immediately this one happens and then immediately the next one happens. And what you're gonna see is it's an opportunity for the disciples to grow their faith. So while you're turning to Matthew chapter 14 on your phone, on a tablet or in the Bible around the room, that's gonna be on page 685. Let me give you a backdrop of what's going on in Matthew chapter 14. By the time you get to Matthew 14, Jesus is like 18 months to two years into his three and a half year ministry. So he's over halfway done with these guys. And he's trying to equip them to take this ministry over one day. And during this time in Matthew 14, Jesus gets some pretty bad news. His cousin, John the Baptist, has just been murdered. Not only has he been murdered, he has been decapitated. And his head has been served up on a platter at a party for fun. Now, I want you to imagine how you would feel if someone that you loved, if that happened to them, not just that they died, they were decapitated and made fun of at a party in that way. Not only that, John the Baptist wasn't just Jesus's cousin. John the Baptist is the guy that baptized Jesus in order to kick off his ministry. So you have to imagine he would be sad. So look at what Matthew 14, 13 says. When Jesus heard what had happened, when Jesus heard that his cousin had died, had been decapitated, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, why do you think Jesus wanted to get away to a solitary place? Because he was sad. I think in his humanity, he mourned. He grieved and he wanted to get away to be 
by himself with his disciples. But let's keep reading in verse 13. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot. He got in a boat to get away from the crowds. The crowds hear this, they, get, they go to where he's going and look at this, verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he said, you've got to be kidding me. Wouldn't it be nice if it said that? Like, well, you could just so relate to Jesus. He didn't say that. He didn't roll his eyes. He didn't say, guys, other direction. We faked him out. Let's go back. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now, why did he want to get away? He was grieving. He was mourning. I mean, have you ever been in mourning and wanted to do anything for anybody? And Jesus begins to model this for his disciples. And look at what verse 15 says. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. Translation, it's getting dark and we're in the middle of nowhere. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves from some food. Matthew tells us it's late in the day, it's getting dark, and they're in the middle of nowhere, and it's dinner time, and there are lots of mouths to feed. And his disciples are like, Jesus, you should really send people home or they're gonna get hangry and we're gonna have a whole different mess on our hands. And if I'm reading between the lines here, you know what I think? I think the disciples are sending the crowds away because they're hungry. And I can relate to this, right? I'm all in for a hard day's work, but when it's time to eat, it's time to eat. I mean, think about the last time you went into a meeting right before lunch or at the end of the day and your stomach's already kind of growling and you think we should be in and out. 90 minutes later, your stomach's making noises. It's, it's kind of chewing on itself and, and you're chewing your fingernails or biting on a pen as an appetizer to hold you over so you can get out of the meeting and get home and get some food, right? I think that is exactly where the disciples are. They are in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of needy, hungry people and everybody's dinner bell is ringing in their heads. And look at what they say to Jesus. Send them away. Jesus says, verse 16, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now they're in the middle of nowhere. Remember, why did they get away to the middle of nowhere? It was just the 12 of them. They thought it was just going to be the 13 of them with Jesus. I'm not sure that they planned a picnic. And he's saying, no, we, you're good. And I think the disciples are a little lost thinking, Jesus, you don't understand. We, we, we have nothing. Now, it's tempting for us. I'm gonna guess that you've done this because I know I have. Jesus prompts me to do something. And since I can't see him with my eyes, I just ignore him. These guys didn't have that. That wasn't an option for them. He was standing right there. It wasn't like they were gonna look at him and be like, no, we're not gonna do that, right? I don't think that was an option. He's their rabbi, he's their teacher. They've seen him do things and they're like, oh great, we gotta figure this. We gotta figure this out. And this is the tension that we face as followers of Jesus. We see a need, our heart goes out to a group of people or to a ministry or to a person. And God says, I want you to do something about that. I want you to mow their lawn. I want you to help them out. I want you to help them move. I want you to make them a meal. I want you to fold those clothes. I want you to do it for them. And I know right away, I'm gonna guess that, again, some of you are like me, that when you found out this was a series on serving, I'm just gonna guess that there was something that kicked in your brain and immediately you thought, you, I know he's gonna ask us to do something, so I'm gonna beat him to the punch. I'm gonna be the guy or I'm gonna be the lady that's gonna pray for all those people. Because God, it's really important that we have the right people. So God, I know he's gonna say something about working with kids. God, would you please send the right person? Oh, the best people, God, please, 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 please. By the way, when they cry in there, oh, it just drives me crazy. So would you please send all the people that they need so all the babies are taken care of? And oh gosh, I've heard him talk about the student ministry before, Lord, please. 
Would you please send somebody to work with those kids? Yes, God, even the smelly seventh grade boys, please. They need Jesus too, please, God. And God, oh, I love having hot coffee when I get here on Sunday mornings. Would you please bless the people that made that coffee and would you multiply their numbers greatly? And Father, it would be nice if you could just find somebody that would make my bagel and put it in the toaster for me and put the cream cheese on it. And they're just like, they know when I'm coming in, I can grab it and go. It's easy for us to wanna pray and say, God, would you send somebody to do all this stuff, all this other stuff? Send somebody else, send somebody else. And I think just like me on that mountain in the Dominican Republic, God says, oh, I hear you loud and clear. What are you gonna do about it? I want you to do something about it. And that's where the disciples were. And look at what they say in verse 17. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, one of the other gospel accounts tell us that this was a little boy's lunch. Essentially, the disciples say, "Uh, Jesus, all we have is a happy meal. Like, this is what we have to feed all these people. We have nothing. We can't do it. You've got the wrong guys. And then look at what Jesus says to them. Now, pay attention to these words. This is all we've got. There's all these thousands of people. Jesus says, bring them here to me. The disciples were so focused on the little bit that they had that they couldn't even see what they did have. It was a matter, it was, it was scarcity. And what we'll learn in a minute is Matthew tells us that there were 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So many commentators believe this crowd could have been as big as 10 to 15, maybe 20,000 people. I can understand why the disciples were a little overwhelmed. And Jesus says, just bring me what you have. And we say things like, Jesus, I'm so busy. I mean, I've got work and I've got school and I've got family. I don't have any time. And he says, hey, well, it's okay. Why don't you just bring me the time that you have? I can work with that. Jesus, I don't don't even know what I'm talking about. What's okay? Like, give me what you do know. I can work with that. But Jesus, I don't don't have enough experience. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, just give me what you do know. I'll, I'll work with you on that. And if there's anything that we can learn from this story, I think Jesus wanted them to stop focus focusing on what they didn't have or what they couldn't do. And I think he wanted them to do what they, the one thing they could do. Look at verse 19. He directed the people to sit down on the grass. Now, I want you to think about this. We're talking thousands of people. I don't know if he just went like this and everybody sat down, but they sit down and he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. I would have loved to hear that prayer. God, thank you for this happy meal. This is all we got. Do your thing. I would have loved to hear him pray that prayer and to be a disciple and think, what is gonna happen Next, and then look at what he does. He gave thanks, he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. Now, Jesus has 12 followers. We've got a very small meal for a boy here. They all basically have in their hands enough for a snack for them. And don't you wonder if one of them went like this and just like, uh-uh, put that down, right? Because that would have been me. I would have put it in my mouth and said, no, what are we gonna do now, right? But here's the thing. What were they gonna do? All they had was this. Well, look at what they did. And the disciples gave them to the people. Now, to their credit, they did not know what was gonna happen next, but they knew how to do what they had. They could just give it to the person there. And then I'm gonna guess they turned around to Jesus and like, okay, now what? And apparently he gave them more because he ends up feeding this whole crowd. They didn't know how to feed thousands of people but they knew how to give to the person right there in front of them to give them that. And then the next person to give them that. And this is so important. We we cannot miss this. They did what they knew how to do and they learned how to trust Jesus to do what only 
he could do. And so the next time you find yourself in that situation where there's a nudge or there's a call and people say, we need help, and you're like, I don't know what to do. I think the thing that we should do is for you to do what you know how to do and you trust God to do what only he can do. You do what only you can do. You do the little thing that you know that you can do and you trust God to do what only he can do and there's no telling what he can do, how he can make it up. And so when you feel that nudge, when you, when you know that there's a ministry that needs help, when you see a neighbor in need, you do what you can do and you say, okay, God, you do, you do what the rest is yours. You fill in that gap. And you know what's crazy? That tension and that fear and that sense of unpreparedness that you feel, you know what that is? And you and me, that is our faith muscle being stretched. He wants to grow our faith to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine in situations. He wants, it's not about what we can do. It's about what he can do through us. He wants to grow our faith so that we can be more faithful and we can grow in deeper intimacy with him. So there I was in this remote coffee growing village in the Dominican Republic. I just pray this prayer. I'm whining to God and he says, what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, I don't, that's why I'm asking you. I don't know what I'm gonna do about it. And I kid you not, it was like all of a sudden my eyes were opened and I look around and there are a bunch of kiddos this tall. None of them spoke a lick of English. They had been following us around for two days and all of a sudden I just felt like he, he said, what about them? I bet they could use your help. And so we started playing games and we swam and we, they didn't understand my English. I didn't understand their Spanish, but it didn't matter. We had so much fun. And guess what? Two days later, all the people working on the nasty, stinky tent or the teeth in the tent, they were like, it's no fair. You get to play with the kids. And I'm like, I know. I just doing what God told me to do. <laughs> Sorry. Now I can't take credit for that. I'm telling you, I was at a serious crisis and God had my attention, but I had so much fun. I was looking at pictures from that trip this week, and I still remember some of their names. This has been like 15, 17 years ago. I can't take credit for that. God just opened my eyes and said, well, what about them? Now, that's just one instance in my life of how I've seen this play out. And I've, I bet you can imagine of other times in your life where you've been in this, there's this tension. Somebody needs to do something about this. God, send somebody. And I think he says, oh, here you loud and clear. Why don't you do what you can do and trust me to take care of the rest? And look at what happens with the rest of the story. Verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who had ate were about 5,000 men beside women and children. This is a huge crowd. And not only that, they had baskets full of food left over. Now, what do you think it would have been like to be one of those disciples? Do you think any one of them was walking around saying, can you believe that I did that? Wasn't that amazing? I made more than you did. I don't think it was like that. I think they were looking at each other saying, what just happened? And I can't help but wonder if one of them didn't have this brilliant idea of like, hey, you know what? He can change water to wine and he can multiply bread. We need to start a food truck. We could get very wealthy off of this. And here's, this is my theory because look at what happens next. Verse 22, immediately, immediately, not two days later, not a week later, immediately like, boom, look at what happens. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Picture that. He sends those guys that way. He tells everybody to go home and they listen. Verse 23, and after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray by himself. He finally got his alone time to mourn and grieve. That's important. And then look at this. Later that night, 
He was there alone on the mountain, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. It was being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. They were in the middle of the lake, and it wasn't so good. They had just learned building your faith 101. You do what only you can do, and you trust Jesus to do the rest, and Jesus is getting ready to teach them faith building 201. And here's the thing. What do you know about those disciples? Were they familiar with boats? Some of them were fishermen. They were familiar with the water. They were familiar with the boat. They knew their way around that lake. But after several hours of rowing, they were row, row, rowing their boat in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night. I'm gonna guess they were tired. They were frustrated. They were burned out. This is something they should have been able to do. It's the one thing actually that they could do. And look at what happens next. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, how long were they out there? All night long, doing the one thing that they thought they could accomplish. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Now, this is a group of young studs, 18 to 25 years old. We know that some of them had ego problems, right? Young studs, they are terrified. You know why they were terrified? It's not normal for people to walk on the water in a storm. I just didn't know if you knew that. Like, they were terrified. And look at what they say. It's a ghost, I mean, can't you just hear their high-pitched screaming? It's a ghost, they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I don't know what it looked like with him walking on the waves if they were up and down. I have no clue. I can't wait to get to see that in heaven when they show that, that footage. But I think that Peter, I think that Peter thought, you know what, this is a test. Because everywhere we go, Jesus asks us to do something that makes us feel uncomfortable. He sent us out in two. He's given us the authority to do what only he can do. He just fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men with like next to nothing. I think he wants us to trust him. And look at what Peter says. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. You invited me to do what only I could do. And if you invite me out there, I know you can take care of the rest. Lord, tell me. And, and so look at what Jesus says. Come. And then Peter got down out of the boat. What could Peter do? He could walk and he could get out of the boat. And he stepped down on the water and he began walking. Just picture what this would look like. He's walking on the water. His eyes are fixed on Jesus. The guys on the boat are thinking, I can't believe it. He's actually doing it. What is happening? And guys, I think, I think that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. I think there's a storm raging. I think we don't have any answers. And he says, don't be afraid, I'm right here. Come on, come on, I want, I want to use you. Come on, we can do this. Now, does that mean that it won't be scary? Oh, it, it could be terrifying. It could be terrifying. The night before Jesus died, he sat in a garden and prayed, God, please, if there's any way, get me out of here. I think Jesus understood what it meant to be scared, but he never broke a relationship with his father. And the same is true for us when it comes to following Jesus. He's just waiting. He invites us out onto the waves and says, come on, and I think that Peter got a little scared. Verse 30, when he saw the wind and the waves, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, oh gosh, you weigh a lot. You need to lose some weight. That's not what he said. What's he say? You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if he put his arm around him, but look at what happens next. 
When they climbed into the boat, the wind and the waves died down, and then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, I want you to think of everything they've experienced. Demons being cast out of people, healings. 5,000 people were just fed, or I'm sorry, 15 to 20,000 people were just fed, and now all of a sudden that he can walk on water and calm a storm, they're like, yeah, we're pretty sure you're the son of God. We're just, I think we're convinced. But here's the point of this story, I think. It's not all those miracles. I think the point of the story is, what's the key word? You of little faith. I think Jesus wants to grow, wanted to grow their faith. And I think Jesus wants to grow our faith. I think he wants us to do the little bit that we can do. And it's not a lot on our own. But with his help, I think he could do more than we could ever imagine in and through us. And I think that's what it's gonna look like for us to follow Jesus. If we really wanna have an impact in our community, we just say, this is what I got. What can you do with that? Oh, this is gonna be so much fun. Come on, let's go. And I wanna share a story with you of someone here from Genesis named Lindsay who is learning what it looks like to step out of her comfort zone, but also to practice this pattern of living by faith. Watch this. I've been going to Genesis for five years and three years ago I started serving in Gen Kids. I started serving because it really meant a lot to me that other people would take their time out of service so I could go, so I wanted to give that back. After I started serving with Genesis, I felt like the Lord was calling me outside of the church, outside of myself, kind of like out of my comfort zone, and so I signed up to go to Haiti. I think that God stretched me in a way um, that I didn't expect. I think that I thought that I would go there and I would have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and experience, and um, I came back with this desire to want to help more and to want to give more and not to keep for myself, but to give more to others. I feel like God calls us all to serve, whether it's in Haiti or if it's out front doing coffee and bagels or if it's with the kids and Gen Kids, whatever it is, I think he has something in store for you in that. And I feel like you'd be missing out if you didn't just jump right in. I love those words. I feel like you'd be missing out if you didn't just jump in. I mean, that's her story. I would have been missing out on all those things. And here's the thing, I realize, I didn't realize this when I shared that story of me being on the mission field and Lindsay's story, being on the mission field. Maybe that's where he's calling you, but we just wanna invite you to be on mission with us as a church family because we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's done what he says he's done. And, and I believe he has gifted and empowered every single one of us to serve, to grow our faith through serving. And so I just wanna ask you a question. What, what is this gonna look like for you? How can you serve him in such a way that he would get the glory and do what only he could do and you would get to celebrate that with other people? I know that when you came in today, you were probably greeted by somebody at the front door. Somebody got here early to make coffee and to lay the bagels out. Somebody picked the bagels up for us. For those of you with children, you dropped them off in the back and you got to come in here and somebody handed you a program and then we had the host team come and collect our offering. And I want you to know we have tremendous people here that serve. And if you serve on a regular basis, I just, I wanna thank you. I do not want you to sign up for another role. That's the problem. We got a lot of people doing two and three and four roles. I just want you to be consistent. We do need some consistency. But if, you're, if you call Genesis your church home and you're not serving, you're missing out. I promise you, you're missing out. And you would be amazed at how God could grow your faith through serving. And so there's some really practical things that we need. 
We've got um, construction and facility needs, people that can patch paint. We've got a bunch of windows that need to be washed on a regular basis so the building looks nice. And those are good. But we also have a lot of opportunities to serve with people. We do, we need a lot of folks that could serve with kiddos. And you hear us talk about this all the time. This isn't childcare. This is disciple making 101, like with the little ones. And, and you're going to be blessed to serve with some great people. We have tremendous students on Sunday nights that get together. Think of your youth pastor. I'm going to guess that many of you had a youth pastor that influenced your life. Well, what if you could do that for some of our students? We have amazing people that serve out in the tent. And their whole role with serving out in the tent is to meet people that are new to help them get connected. We need more of those people. I'd love to start a parking team here in Carmel so we can get way out to the road and greet people from the moment they arrive but it's gonna take every one of us serving somewhere. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. It doesn't matter how much you make throughout the week. None of that matters. You just take the little bit that you've got and you say, here you go, Jesus. This is, all, this is what I can do. And here's the thing, guys. If we get strong here on Sunday mornings and this becomes a place, or it is a place, but if people start to come and say, wow, look at this. That, that place is amazing. Imagine the influence we could have out there, but it's gotta start here. It's gotta start with us. And so for the next several weeks, we're kicking off an initiative where we're asking the people that serve on a regular basis to grab one of these lanyards when you serve. It just says, I have your invite. And we want to challenge all of you to invite someone to serve with you. You know people like you, so go recruit two or three people that are like you, right? And, and if people say, oh, I don't know, I just can't do that. That's okay. We've got a number of opportunities. You're going to hand them this card and say, hey, I'd love for you to serve with me. But if not, here's some other opportunities for you to serve. And I just want you to imagine what could happen if all of us collectively were like those disciples and say, we just got this little bit. He fed 20,000 people in the middle of nowhere. What could he do with us in the middle of Hamilton County? What influence could we have for Jesus? Probably more than we could ever imagine, but it's gonna take us growing our faith and stepping out. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for these stories. They are so familiar. We, in Jesus, I'm convinced, more so than ever before, I'm convinced that I read these stories and it's about your miraculous power, Jesus, and it certainly is. But in the middle of, of those stories, we can't get away from those words, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Would you forgive us for doubting? Holy Spirit, would you empower us to be bold? to realize that if we just did something with the little bit that we had, there is no telling, not just what you could do through one of us, but what you could do through all of us to reach people to know you, to reach children and strengthen their faith at a young age, to, to minister to students as they go through arguably the hardest time of their life, and then to reach out to our neighbors and our coworkers and our families and friends. Would you help us to be a people? I pray that that's what would make Genesis distinct. We would serve the way Jesus served. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for serving us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. That's all we got for you guys today. Thank you so much for being here. Now, when you leave today, there's a station out in the lobby. It just says RSVP here. It's a big red sign. If you are not serving and you want to know where to jump in, I want to invite you to go meet with Jake and Kristen Russell. They can answer any questions that you have. I want you to pray about this, but don't just pray about it. Do something about it. Hope you guys enjoy fall break, and we will look forward to seeing you back next week.